are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I want to go into the Word of the Lord in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 13. The book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 13. And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today I'd like to um, speak to you on uh, a simple subject. The prayer that heathen can't pray. The prayer that heathen can't pray. For it says here, do not be like them. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they will be heard for their many words. And then he says, don't be like them. There is a prayer that heathen cannot pray. Father, we thank you here this morning. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us to hear your word, to assimilate it, to put it into action, and that you may be glorified. May let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building. So uh, prayer is universal, and uh, whenever surveys are conducted about how many people actually pray, the numbers are pretty astonishing. People do seem to pray. People do seem to pray. Uh, See, according to a Pew Research Center report, for many Americans, every single day is a day of prayer. More than half, that is 55% of Americans, say that they pray every day. While only 21% say that they pray weekly or monthly, and only 23% say that they seldom or never pray. Even among those that are uh, religiously unaffiliated, 20% of them say that they pray daily. People who are religiously unaffiliated. So, Prayer is not a foreign concept. In this, in this passage of scripture, Jesus revealed 2,000 years ago what modern research seems to indicate. And that is that most people do tend to pray. See, there is an instinctive desire in every man to seek a higher power, to inquire about the supernatural to search for answers in a transcendent being of sorts. However, though most people pray, not 
all prayers are the same. See, according to Jesus, there are different ways to pray. There is a heathen way to pray, and then there is a Christian way to pray. Today, I would like to contrast the difference between a heathen's way to pray, or another version says a pagan, a heathen's way to pray, and a Christian's way to pray. And I want to see which side of that spectrum you fall on. Now, before we get into the, the text itself, let's figure out what the word heathen means in this particular passage. You see, in the modern vernacular, the word heathen means a person who is not associated with one of the widely held religions, such as Christianity or Islam or Judaism, which are the three main religions in the world. However, that is not the definition that Jesus gives this word. See, in this passage, a heathen is a very religious person. Namely, because Jesus says that they think they will be heard. They think they will be heard. And not only do they think that they will be heard, which implies faith and belief, but uh, they seem to pray frequently because they use many words. They think they will be heard for their many words. You see, most prayer neophytes or rookies would not use many words in prayer. So the term many words indicate that there is frequent practice here. In other words, they're professionals at what they're doing. They know the rituals. In essence, heathens in this context are very religious people, very religious people. Now, we tend to categorize people as either religious or non-religious, religious or non-religious. But it's interesting to me that that's not the distinction that Jesus is making here. The contrast that Jesus makes here isn't between the religious and the irreligious. The contrast that Jesus is making here is between the religious and the Christian, the religious and the Christian. In other words, Jesus is saying, heathens are not atheists, heathens are not agnostics, heathens are not unbelievers. Heathens are actually very religious folk. It's as though he has given us a warning in today's day and time that not everyone that believes in God is a Christian. And we also seem to get that from the book of James, that if belief was the only criteria whereby you were deemed a Christian, then demons would be Christians because demons believe that there is one God. And they don't just believe there is one God, they tremble at that thought. They have fear of that one God. And that should serve as a warning to all of us that being spiritual and or coming to church does not make you a true Christian any more than cooking makes me a chef. Right? Now listen, I can cook. I, I can, I'll make you the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich you've 
you've ever had in your life. It'll give you a rash, but I can cook. So what, what separates a Christian from a heathen in this text? How do we know whether it is a Christian who is praying or whether it is a heathen who is praying? Well, many have said that it's because heathens tend to ask for things. Heathens ask for things. Like verse 8 tells us that our heavenly father knows what we have need of. And so what some have assumed is that Jesus is referring to heathens as people who tend to ask for things, for stuff. Stuff. See, heathens are people who ask for things, and you shouldn't do that because God knows what we have need of. That's what some people say. However, that can't be right because just several verses later in Jesus' model prayer, Jesus prays, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus himself was modeling for us petitionary prayer where we petition God for things. As a matter of fact, we are commanded in scripture to ask and to knock and to seek and to pursue God with our requests. So that cannot be it. So ladies and gentlemen, what then separates a heathen from a Christian? Well, there is a clear way to tell who is a heathen and who is a Christian, according to Jesus. And it is by the way in which each person approaches God. See, there are two distinct ways to approach God. Uh, to better understand the different ways to approach God, let me, uh, let me explain it this way. When you approach anybody for a verbal exchange or for communicative interaction, I laugh at my at the way I use these words. But anyway, for when I when I when I when I you know come in contact with someone for any sort of interaction, intuitively we assess our shared experiences our common friends, and the general context of our relationship. You know, you think, where did we meet? How long have we been friends? Who are our common friends? What shared experiences do we have? Have we been fishing together? Do I know his family? Do I know who she is? Do I know her name? You know, we make these assumptions about this person. We assess these things in order to determine what level of intimacy we have with them and I'm going to tell you why because your level of intimacy with someone is what dictates how you will communicate with that person that, that's what's gonna you know and it, it, it makes me laugh some because you can see that like when I go back home to New York, like when I go back to my uh, home church in New York that uh, my dad planted. So, you know, there are a lot of people that uh, that were there. I left a long time ago, but there are a lot of people that are still there from my childhood. And I know they know me, you know, they know the real me. I know their kids. I grew up with their kids. I, I know their grandkids. Uh, but then there are people I don't know at all. 
And then there's like, you know, new deacons in the place that I have never seen in my life and assistant pastors. And I'm like, who, who is that? So when I, when I get back and I see all these people, it's funny because everyone knows me, you know, oh, that's the, that's the kid that kind of grew up here and he pastored here and he's the, the, the pastor's son and was the pastor's son and whatnot. And so you go down the line and you're going, hey, hey, brother, how are you? My name is such and such. And da, 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 da. and then you go to the next person and this is the person, you know, she saw you grow up. And so uh, you can't just go and shake her hand and go, hey, sister, such and such. No, you assess the shared experiences, the people you know together. How many times, you know, I stole those empanadas from your kitchen when you weren't looking because I was playing Xbox with your kid. That's how we grew up. Or back in my day, it was Nintendo. But you get the idea. And so we, so we, we know each other. And so she doesn't care that I've got kids that you know can now be parents themselves. Uh, you know, and uh, she still squeeze my little cheeks and go, man. And I'm a grown man. I am six four and mind your business pounds. And you are still squeezing my cheeks this way I, I can't do it so um so i so this is what is going on the level of intimacy is what's going to dictate your level of interaction and then i see my homeboy like that's my that's my dude that's that's the dude we grew up together like we've done some stuff like you know you, we have some shared experiences we're the type of dudes that pull that wig off that sister when she was praying did I just say that out loud Lord have mercy at an all night watch meeting all watch night meeting and this sister was all praying and we came along and just snatched that little oh Lord she was asleep she didn't know So like that guy, you don't go, hey, brother, how's it going? You know, you think about shared experiences. You think you've got some stories that will get me in trouble and vice versa. So that's the type of dude you're like, yo, what up, man? Hey, what's going on, family? We are family because you've got some stuff on me that can never, ever get out. See... (laughs) The general context of your relationship and the level of intimacy is what's going to dictate your level of interaction. I meet new people all the time at the airport, and may I add, not by choice. They seem to ignore the noise-canceling headphones, noise-canceling headphones that are shoved into my auditory canal. And they seem to ignore that and ask me silly questions like, how are you? Right? And so um, I, it would be extremely weird for me if I was on a plane and the lady next to me, is, whom I just met, is staring at me while I'm, you know, listening to my uh, music. And she uh, uh, just stares at me. And when I look over to see if there's anything wrong, she goes, I love you. How would be weird. 
Or how about if she goes, could you massage my feet? That that would be extremely weird. And the reason that would be weird is because we don't have that level of intimacy. Right? And my level of intimacy is what dictates my level of interaction with you. You see, uh, you, there are certain things that I can't ask of a total stranger that I can ask of a family member. On the other hand, uh, there are certain things I can ask of a family member that I couldn't ask of a friend. There are certain things that I can share with a best friend that I cannot share with an acquaintance or a casual friend. There are certain things that uh, there, is a, there is a group text that I have going on with my two boys that if any of you were to see it I would lose my ministerial credentials because your level of intimacy with someone is what dictates your level of interaction and whether your requests will be taken seriously or not the deeper the intimacy the deeper the interaction and now the main difference between the way a religious person or a heathen in this text approaches god and the way a christian approaches god is that a heathen approaches god as a as a as a business acquaintance whereas a christian approaches god as a family member as a fa- and the foundation of a christian's interaction with god is found in his deeper intimacy with that god what is the difference between a, a business acquaintance and a family member well the business acquaintance when he or she interacts with you the basis of their interaction is i have something for you i have something for you the basis of a family member member when he or she interacts with you is i am something to you i am something to you in a business relationship the basis of that relationship is characterized by performance in a family relationship the basis of that relationship is characterized by commitment a business relationship is conditional a family relationship is unconditional one has to do with doing if i do things i'll be accepted one has to do with being whether i do it or not i am this to you and so the business paradigm says if you perform then i'll accept you but the family paradigm says since you're already accepted now you should perform that is the difference between a business relationship and a family relationship there are two ways that you can live in a home you can either live in a home as a boarder or you can live in a home as a child see a boarder has a distinct relationship to the landlord as the child does because a boarder pays rent he has a relationship based on goods and services i pay rent in exchange for room and board and that's how many people approach 
approach God. They approach God on that level, on the level of performance. I have my duties and God, you have your duties. And there's a sense of entitlement with borders. As long as I pay rent, the landlord has to, you know, he needs to supply my room, upkeep my living quarters, do everything in his power to make me feel at home. That relationship is based on goods and services. Only people who don't have an intimate relationship with God approach him in that way as a border. I pay tithes, so you need to provide such and such. I fast, so you need to answer such and such. I praise, so you need to get me out of all my trouble. People who have this attitude are borders. They are not children. They have business relationships, but they are not family members. And in this text, there is a way that you can tell a heathen from a Christian. Because when heathens interact with God, they use what the text says, vain repetitions. Vain repetitions. What is that? You see, vain repetitions is a word that means empty words or futile words. These words are empty because they are impersonal. These words are empty because they are mechanical. They are business contract type words and terminology. They don't come from a heart that says I love you. It comes from a heart that says good doing business with you. Come back tomorrow. Let's do it again. That's business. That's impersonal. That's mechanical. That is empty words. Vain repetitions. That relationship is based on goods and services. And only people who don't have an intimate relationship with God approach God in that way. That is not the way that Christians approach God. See, Christians, when they approach God, they say, oh Lord, whom do I have in heaven but you? Amen. And there's no one upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the kind of language that a Christian approaches God with. Amen. Piney the Elder wrote of the ancient Romans prayers. He said their prayer was the single most important or most powerful religious action. And knowledge of the correct verbal formulas was the key to its efficacy. Let me translate that for you. They were more concerned with the ritual and the repetition of their prayers and not with its honesty and its intimacy. See, the key to efficacy or the key to its being fulfilled, the prayers being fulfilled or answered was in the correct verbal formulas that they used. So they had to use a correct verbal formula. And you can see that in the prayer of the worshipers of Baal on Mount Carmel. According to the book of 1 Kings, they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. That is six hours because in Jewish thought, morning began at 6 a.m. And what did they say? This is what they say said for six hours. Oh, Baal, answer us. Could you imagine six hours? Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. On what basis did they approach their God? They approached their God on a 
business basis. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, we have cut our skins. We have sacrificed our animals. We have prayed from morning until noon in this hot sun for you. And now it is your turn to provide your end of the contract. Answer us. Pay up. We've done our part. That, my friends, is business. That is a contract. That is an agreement. That is a borders mentality. I have prayed. You provide. I'll shout your name for six hours straight and maybe that will get the trick done. You answer us. Amen. I had a social media debate a couple of years ago with a Muslim friend who was appalled at how intimately I referred to God. And he said that God is great. He said Allah is great and mankind should never refer to Allah in such terms. He said that Muslims could never call God by any of the affectionate terms that Christians have for God. And honestly, there is something, when I was done with the debate, can I tell you, there is something appealing to me about that theory. Because in my personal opinion, God is to be respected. God is to be feared and adored and worshipped and worshipped reverently, decently and in order. And, And may I just say that we are living in a highly informal society where even things such as God creator of all things is taken lightly and informally, you know, and that's what, that's part of something that I like about our culture and this is extremely personal please you follow your church tradition or your own personal whatever whatever that is but this is extremely personal and this is this is an opinion of mine personally I love some of our traditions you know not all of them but I do love some of our traditions and one of them is you know waking up on a Sunday morning and putting a suit on and putting a tie and a nice little dress shirt that's kind of cool even if you don't have a suit just you know but iron your shirt man you know come you know come in come in with with, with some good looking slacks to the house of God. You know, I like that tradition. That's me personally. You don't have to follow that at all because, you know, this is God is not, an, uh, 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 he doesn't make exception to people or, or what you have on. So that is not something that's going to save you or condemn you at all. And that's not, you know, don't look down on people because of that. I'm just saying, for me personally, I like that. You know why? Because I feel like, man, I would never go to an interview, you know, in my, you know, whatever, yo, yo, this is me in my sweats and my, you know, my wrinkled t-shirt. That's not how I'm going to show up, you know, because I place importance on the thing I am trying to, you know, accomplish. And because of that, I like that about us. Now, I'm off my soapbox, but you, you get what I'm saying. Now, here goes, you know what drove this guy mad? This guy got really mad because he said that I called God father that drove him mad and as i reflected on his arguments i i sincerely asked myself does my bible minimize the greatness of our god no the bible does not minimize the greatness of our god in the bible our god is a ruler In the Bible, our God is a king. In the Bible, our God is creator. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's the only and wise God. Our 
Bible does not minimize the greatness of our God. And we affirm the greatness of our God when we sing songs like, how great is our God? How great? And then it's not just, it's not enough that we sing that. We want you to know he's great. We say, sing with me. How great is our God? We affirm the greatness of our God. We don't minimize the greatness of our God. Yet, when Jesus started off his prayer, he did not start off his model prayer by saying, Our King who art in heaven. And he did not start off his prayer by saying, Our ruler who art in heaven, or our creator who art. That is not the way that he started his prayer. He started his prayer by saying, Our father who art in heaven. Our, ladies and gentlemen, here is the greatest distinction between a heathen's prayer and a Christian's prayer. Heathens have many repetitions. Heathens have callous and mechanical prayers. Heathens have pompous sacrifices and processions. But there is something they can't do. They cannot call him Father. And the greatest and most foundational aspect of the Lord's Prayer is found in those first two words. Because Jesus wanted to model to them when heathens pray, they pray with vain repetitions but you don't be that way you're not a business acquaintance you are a family member so as you approach them and you begin to assess your shared experiences in which context did you come together what has he done for you what have you done for him as you begin to assess that you begin to evaluate what kind of intimacy do I share with this person and when you evaluate the kind of intimacy you have then you'll realize okay that's what's going to set the tone for the rest of my conversation you're not just king you're not just lord you're not just ruler you are a father you are a you remember that the next time you go before the throne of grace you remember that when they call you late at night and say your child has been in an accident you're not just reaching out to some grandpa out in the skies that you don't know you're reaching out to a father who dresses lilies and feeds birds who gives us good gifts you're reaching out to a father who's got every hair on your head counted and who knows you by name he is a father. He's a father. I'm almost done. The Lord didn't even start his prayer by calling God friend. Although he is a friend to us. But why didn't he start his prayer by calling him friend? I'm going to tell you why. Because even a friend is a hybrid of sorts. See, friend is some, a friend is somewhere between a border and a child. He is somewhere between a business relationship and a family relationship. There is some level of love between friends that is not present with a stranger or a business relationship, but even friendships are completely based on performance. Oh no, that is my BFF. 
my BFFL, that girl right there, I'm telling you, we can go through all sorts of stuff, but we would never, ever stop our relationship. Mm-hmm. Let that girl start, start talking to your ex. See, how many best friends have you had in your life that you have never talked to or contacted again once that season of your life was over? Once you moved, oh, that is my BFF. I'll do anything for him. But once you moved, it's done. Like, you don't even know if he's, if he's okay, if he's alive. You don't know. Because friendship is not the strongest bond on earth. Friendship is not the strongest bond on earth. Do you know what the strongest bond on earth is? Family is the strongest bond on earth. Family is the strongest bond on earth. See, the family paradigm is the strongest bond on earth. And I need you to think about this for a second. I, I know that some of you are saying, uh, yes, you preacher, you think family is the strongest bond on earth because you've never met my family. Zach and I last night were going over the lyrics of a song called I Am My Own Grandpa. I don't know if you've ever heard this song, but I suggest that you go back online and just read the lyrics to this song. You will die laughing. I am my own grandpa. I know we are living in a highly dysfunctional, you don't know my family, preacher. We put the fun in dysfunctional. I understand that we are living in a very complex society where traditional family values are regressing each day. However, I want you to think about it for a second. The dysfunction in your family is actually what proves the paradigm that the family is the strongest bond on earth. It's the dysfunction in your family that proves it. And you can see that more clearly. You know when you can see that more clearly? During the holiday season. During the holidays. That's when you can see this truth more clearly because dysfunctional families will get together from everywhere. And even as I'm saying this, some of you daughter-in-laws are getting heart attacks, many strokes in your seats, just thinking about who's coming this year. Their dysfunctional families get together, you know, uh, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, Auntie Maria is coming from New York, but she hasn't spoken to her sister in two years over a disagreement on the disbursement of the inheritance that grandma left for them, and she realized that her sister had taken an extra $3,598.47. Mm -hmm. So they haven't spoken because, girl, you are a thief, and I knew you were adopted from the time I saw you. I just knew you were adopted. <laughs> you don't belong in this family. You are a thief, and it's not even about the money. I don't even need those $3,000. Thank you very much. My husband is rich, and yours is not. I don't need that money, but you know what, girl? It's about the principle, the principle.
right? And you got cousin Mark. He's coming from Virginia, but he is offended because he came out of the closet as a gay man, and none of his cousins now will talk to him, and they're, 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 they won't talk to him. They won't post him on any of the family pics. They don't tag him on because they, they don't want any of his friends to go looking at, you know, at his Instagram, so they won't tag him in any of the pictures, and so he's mad at them, so he won't even eat at, you know, eat with them, and then Grandpa Jim, I love Grandpa Jim, because Grandpa Jim, he is hosting this year, and everyone's coming down, and Grandpa Jim, he's, you know, re recent widower, and he's like, oh, but nobody comes to visit me anymore, why don't you FaceTime me, and I know I don't know how to press these buttons on this iPad, but it used to work before, and what's going on, what are my daughters doing, which one, are those my grandkids, are those my, they look black, what is going on with my, <laughs> which one of your daughters got that jungle fever, I want to know what's going on. Y'all don't know family. <laughs> ah, and then you got two of the sisters. They're coming, but they're infighting because their children don't seem to get along because one set of children is favored over the other. I know, girl, I know that your children get the best gifts around here and mine don't. But I'll tell you what, and I know exactly why. Y'all trying to hide it from me, but I know exactly why. Because you don't like my man. You don't like my husband. But I'm going to let you know now, that's my man. That's my boo. That's my bae. You can't take him away from me. That's who I chose. I know he in jail, but it don't matter. So how can you prove that dysfunction is actually what proves the strength of the family paradigm? I'm going to tell you why. Because friends with that level of dysfunction would never be coming together. The only people on planet earth who still come together after all of that dysfunction. They hate each other. They can't stand each other. I won't even look at you, but I'm going to be there this Thanksgiving. I'm going to eat grandma's, I am not missing grandma's grits for anything. I'll be, I'll be sitting upstairs by myself if I have to watch in football. I don't want to talk to you, but I'll be there. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you don't just have something for them. You are something to them and because you are something to them it unites you it's what gets you together family is still the strongest bond on earth Woo, I wish I could give you all these stories, but this time is running quickly. Listen, my middle sister and I never got along as kids. We absolutely fought all the time for our mother's attention uh, because she had a hard time. As my younger sibling, she had a hard time accepting her role and staying in her lane. She had a hard time as the younger subordinate sibling she had a, a hard time with that 
I, I couldn't stand to even look at her at times. She was a tomboy and my mom gave her all sorts of attention and I'm not making this up because I'm bitter and I am not bitter. I am not, I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's because my mother told me to my face. My mother said, I, I, listen, son, I have to give your sister more attention. This is what she told me. She said, I have to give your sister more attention. She needs you. She needs me more. That's what she said. So it just made sense to me. Uh, she needs you more. Okay. She, she special needs. Anyway, so... So, uh, so this is the deal. That was my sister, right? And, uh, oh, I couldn't stand her. So, uh, so what I would do is, uh, sometimes I'd go talk to my friends about my, you know, cause I needed a vent. Cause, you know, I was, I, I had enough, but I couldn't do it. I was very respectful at home, never talked back to my mom, nothing like that. And, and I needed a vent. So I'd go to my friends and I'd be like, yo, listen, have you seen what, listen to what my sister did to me yesterday? My sister was out doing such a such a thing and doing this and did you see her she was out playing baseball with the dudes like she's a man she's not one of us bro what, what are we what are we even doing? like i'm talking to my friends like this right now here's the deal though as i'm talking to you as my friend this is what i expect from you i expect from you to give me your full attention and to respond to me as i speak to you about my sister respond to me in a manner that is Telling me that you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Just, you know, respond, you know, just, this is just regular communication, you know, back and forth. I need, I need that kind of response. Uh, how, however, however, do, do not agree with me too severely when I talk to you about my sister. And furthermore, do not add to the conversation your own commentary. Because some of these ninjas were like, hey, uh, you know what? I did see her. And you know what else she did? And that's when I'm like, yo, listen up. Listen up. Listen up. We throwing hands, boy. Because listen, that is still my sister. I could talk about my sister because she is mine. But you cannot talk about my sister because I don't just have something for her. I am something to her. That is still my sister. He calls family is the strongest bond on earth. And that's why I am so glad that the Lord's prayer does not start out with our friend who art in heaven. Though God is a friend, but it starts out with the highest bond that any human being can have on this earth. It is a family bond. You know why I'm glad it is a family bond? Because if he was just a friend, then he turned his back on me at the very sign of trouble. At the very first sign when I did something wrong, he'd go the other way. But thank God that's not the kind of love that unites us. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. You know why? He's not a friend. He's not just a friend. He's not just a ruler. He is a family member. He is my father. (laughs) 
There's only one person that can come into the king's chambers at 3 a.m. unbothered. You know who that person is? It is his son. His son can walk right by the guards. What I mean? And go into the king's chambers. And the king, the king who would smite anybody who got within two feet of him, who would smite anybody who would come and wake him up at that time of night, the king would drop his crown and his robes and would sit up in bed and said, Come on, baby. Come on. What's going on? I'm scared, dad. That's all right. I know it's 3 a.m. I know I've got the burden of a whole nation on my shoulders but you don't just have something for me you are something to me something closer unites us you are family family ah i should be done right now but then you'll miss out on this story so i'm gonna finish it with this story so I've got two boys, great boys. Caleb, 16 years old, and I've got Micah. Micah is, uh, he's gonna turn 14 here next week. Um, let, me, let me explain a little something about my two boys. Caleb, Caleb is a stud. I'm telling you, he's a stud, and it's not because he's my son. It's not because, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It, it's not because of that. It has nothing to do with that. He's just a stud. Cool kid, uh, you know, good grades, obedient, uh, mild-mannered, keeps his manners. He's the first one at the altar. He's praying with people. I mean, he's a dude. The dude is right. And then I don't like to give him a big head, so I don't say anything in front of him. But then, like, there are times he comes out of the room, dressed for church or whatever, and when he comes out of the room, I'm looking at him like, that's a bad boy. <laughs> like, that is one bad boy. You know, I don't say it. I don't say it. But I'm like, ooh, boy, that's a bad boy. Anyway. <clears throat> then, did I tell y'all I have two sons? I got another dude. His name is uh, his name is Micah. Um, Micah's a good dude. <laughs> but Micah's the kind of dude that he comes out of the room, and I'm like, "Boy, did a cow chew on your clothes all night?" He's that kind of dude, right? He could care less. Like, he could, he really, he could care less. Caleb, he's a ball player. You know, like, he scored 40 points, championship game, had no business being in, wins the uh, junior high school championship in, in his state in Arizona. Like, 40 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. Like, he's, that's a bad boy. Micah. I'm like, son, the basket is this way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Micah, his first organized basketball, I gotta hurry up, I can't. Anyway, Micah, his first organized basketball game, uh, Micah um, 
you know, one of his opponents falls down and his whole team runs down the other. Micah comes back and is lifting his opponent up. His opponent. He is lifting him up, getting him out and like pats him in the butt. And he's like, you know, you all right, man? And I'm over in the stands like. You know, that's Micah. Anyway, Micah is, uh, he's intrigued by a lot. Let's just call it like that. He's intrigued by a lot of stuff. And uh, he did something, you know, it wasn't totally, uh, it wasn't crazy, crazy, but it was enough to, uh, it was enough to make me irate. Micah's also the type of dude that he want. he's got like an MC Hammer anointing, right? Like when you try to discipline him, like he's like, can't touch this. <laughs> You could always tell the carnal churches. <laughs> Some churches would not even get that reference. <laughs> not Calvary. <laughs> anyway, I don't know who MC Hammer is, Bishop. Anyway, so. <laughs> So, uh, so Micah, um, you know, he wants to let you know, like, nah, he, he's that kind of kid, right? So he, here's the deal. I, I, I'm, I usually, I'm very disciplined about my way of disciplining my children. I've never spanked my children, not because I don't, I'm, I'm against it. Um, it's not, be, it's, see, when you're this, this big, there's a fine line between discipline and death, so um, so I, I try not to get in trouble. Um, listen, that's not the way I was raised, all right? My mama was like a mixture of like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> she was a mixture of Freddy Krueger, and maybe you guys are too young to know, but like Street Fighter, the video game, there was a character in it called Blanca. Blanca would be like... <laughs> That, that was my mom. <laughs> so anyway, so you got, um, so I, I was, you know, he got back home after I learned of what he did. He got back home and I was irate. I usually, I discipline my children at the end of the day. Like I let them have all their fun. And then at the end of the day, when my, when my wrath has placated, then I go into their rooms and calmly say, son, I need to speak to you. And before, before, I mean, before the words are completely out of my mouth, they're already like, oh, here we go. Because, you know, and we have the talks, you know, but this time I, um, I, I didn't know how to say it, whatever, but I needed it. I really needed it to get his attention. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Cause I am a, I am a Teddy. I'm this big, but I'm a Teddy bear at heart. So I, I didn't know how I was going to discipline him. So here he is and he's sitting in front of me and I'm like, Micah, and I'm going, I'm going in on him. Like, Micah, you get this, this and that. Are you out of your 
mine, and mine. And I'm going, and at the time, he's like 11 years old. And I'm just going, and I'm going, and I'm, and, and, uh, and I didn't know, honestly, I didn't know how this was going to end because I had never done this before. Like, I didn't know how to discipline him. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I have to discipline him somehow, but I didn't know what to do. So I just kept talking and talking. But suddenly, I got an email from heaven. You've got mail. The Lord was my wingman at that precious moment. And he gave me what to do. And so I said, thank you, Jesus. I looked over at him and I said, you know what, Micah? Because of this, you will not be able to partake of any video games at this house. Not this weekend, not the next week, not the next month, not for the rest of the school year. We were in September. I said, not for the rest of the school. Even as I said that, like three teenagers just fainted. And so uh, I knew I got him. And the reason I knew I got him, you know, Micah's over there like, yeah, whatever. He was trying to act that part like, whatever, that doesn't mean anything to me. But I knew I got him because 13 seconds after that, you know, long, awkward silence, 13 seconds later, I see Micah and he went like this. And like his little tear began before he was trying so hard, poor kid, he was trying so hard, but that tear was coming down and, and I rejoiced. And so this is, <laughs> all right, so I travel every week, right? I travel every week. I promise I'm done in two minutes. I travel every week and uh, the first weekend I'm gone and um, I, I get a, a, a phone call. And I look at my uh, phone, and it's Micah. So I answer, and I'm like, yo, what up? And Micah answers. He's like, hey, Dad. I'm like, yep, what up, man? He's like, Dad, um, I know you said no video games. All right. As soon as I said that, I was like, what? You know? And he said, but Dad, I was wondering, um, is it possible maybe not, I don't want to play it like, just on weekends, not not during the week, but just during the weekends. You think that it'll be okay for me to play video games? Have you ever looked at your phone when you heard something so preposterous as though your phone was the culprit of what was being said to you on the other line? That's how I looked at my, as soon as he said that, I was like, the audacity Right. And I went, I mean, I went off on this kid for about five minutes. I'm like, Micah, you have, you are, listen, Micah, are you out of your mind right now? I just told you and I'm going off. And then five minutes later, Micah answers and he goes, okay, dad, love you. Love you too, son. And I hung up. Next weekend. Yo, what's going on? Dad, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's Micah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dad, um, you think, I, I know you said no video games. 
He said, I know you said no video games, but dad, I'm going to my friend's house and that's all they do at their house. I was just wondering, not here at this house, is it okay if I go to little Petey's house and then I play like video games, not for too much, no, I'm gonna come back, but you think I could play when I get, I said, Micah, you are out of your mind. And again, I went off on five minutes, don't you ever, and I'm going off and, uh, and finally, love you dad. I love you too, son. Next weekend. Dad, uh, yeah, what up, man? Dad, uh, listen, uh, I don't want, I know you said no video games, so I'm not playing video games at all, but I just saw uh, that um, NBA 2K17, just this was, this was in 16. So he said, uh, you can now pre-order NBA 2K17. You think maybe that we could pre-order NBA 2K17 and I'm not going to play it at all because I can't play it, but I just want to have it ready for the moment that I can play it, just have it queued up so that when that moment arrives that I can play it. Do you think... And I said, boy, we are going to pre-order NBA 2K48 because that's the year that you're going to be playing video games around this house. Right? All right, so this went on for about this went on for about six, seven weeks, all right? So now we're like over towards Christmas. And finally, he calls me like two weeks before Christmas or so. And he says, Dad. And I say, yo, what up, man? And he goes, Dad, so uh, I know we're going back to New York to um, our family uh, for Christmas, on Christmas vacation for that whole two weeks. And I- I'm just wondering, Dad, you know my cousins. And my cousins, all they want to do when we're there is play video games. And Dad, I tell them all the time. Why don't we go outside? Why don't we do something productive? But they never listen to me. They all they want to do. So what am I going to do? Just sit there and just watch everybody just play video games. Dad, do you think maybe for those two weeks, not for any other week, any weekend, nothing? I don't want to do it. But do again. I just want to be okay with my cousins because I love my cousins. Do you think that we could play video? And finally, after about seven or eight weeks. I didn't say anything. I just stood shut because I didn't want to acknowledge the fact that I'm a punk. But I, at the same time, wanted to be merciful towards him. So I just kind of waited it out and didn't say anything. I didn't even know what to say. But he just knew what my answer was instinctively. And the reason I know that is because I heard him on the other side. He went, yes. We hung up the phone, and when I hung up the phone, like, I started thinking about what had just happened. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, like, I lost it. I was in my hotel room, and I went, this little ninja just finessed me. Like, he just... What in the world just happened? And now I, he, I just went back on my word and I was so upset. I was so mad and I'm going in and I'm thinking, what just happened? And you know, as I was doing that, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. I was about to call him back and the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. He said, the reason why he felt at home making that request, that kind of request to you, and I'm going to tell you why is because you're not just somebody that has 
has something for him. You are something to him. He knows your heart. He knows that there's nobody on earth that loves him like you love him. He knows that you're the only person that would stay up till 4 a.m. trying to relearn fourth grade math on YouTube so that you can do homework with this little dude. He knows that nobody else goes to parent-teacher meetings like you do. He knows that you go to recess at least twice a week to be there and play with your son and the rest of the dumb kids. He knows that you are the only one who knows his heart and loves him. And so he feels at home with you. He's got that level of intimacy. He has that level of interaction because he has that level of intimacy. And can I tell you right now, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some people in this house, you have a prayer that heathen cannot pray. You can come back to your heavenly father and say, Dad! I know you said no three months ago, but I'm back because you said you would withhold no good thing from them who trust you. So I'm back, God, because every good gift comes from the Father above. So I'm back, oh Lord. Dad, you're not just a business acquaintance. You're not just Lord and ruler. You are a father. So I've got a prayer and a request. I know I've asked you 10 times, but please don't be annoyed at the 11th time. I love you, and I know that you spared not your own son, but you gave him up for me. Will not you give me all things with him? So I'm coming back. Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Come on, just lift your hands all over this building. He's a father. He's a father. There are some people in this house, you've been requesting certain things from God for a while now. But I want you to know you're not coming to just a distant deity in the great beyond. He is a father that knows what you have need of. He is a father that hears your cry. He's not just a judge. He's not just a ruler. He's not just your Lord. He is your father. He is your father who says, cast your cares upon me for I care for you. And when you come to him, this is the basis on which we will approach him. Our father. Our father which art in heaven. Would you stand on this precious Sunday. I want to open this altar up here today and I'm wondering if there's anybody in this house who's got a request that you have before the Lord and you can come to this altar and say here I am Lord you know I've asked you this a million times but I'm coming back and I'm making this request again. I'm coming back and I'm going to knock again. I'm coming back and I'm going to ask again. I'm coming back and I'm going to be relentless and I've got some shameless audacity with this and I've got some 
requests that I've got to make before the throne of heaven. And I've, I, I, I'm wondering, oh Lord, is it all right if I ask again? All over this building, I invite you to come down to this altar right now. Let's ask again. Let's pray again. Let's seek again. This is not a distant deity. This is a dad you're talking to. This is not a business acquaintance. This is a family member you're talking to. No le estás hablando a, un, a, a alguien de negocios. Esto es una relación de familia. Este es un padre. Este es un padre celestial que sabe lo que necesitas. This is a dad that knows what you have need of. This is a dad that hears every cry. This is a dad. This is a dad. This is father, father, father. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to seek again. I'm going to ask again. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to go again before your throne room of grace because I don't have a, a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of my infirmity. No, I've got one that knows me that I can, I've got one who was tempted in all things yet without sin. So come on, make your requests known unto God. Make your requests known unto God here today. Make your requests known unto God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.